Hey, I want to tell you guys about another podcast I think you'll love. Deep Cover Mobland is the true story of a high-rolling Chicago lawyer named Robert Cooley who helped the outfit fix cases from traffic tickets to murder. Then he went undercover to take them down. You guys are probably familiar with the murder case he fixed for outfit hitman Harry Aleman. This resulted in Aleman walking from the murder of Billy Logan. After Cooley turned, he testified that he had bribed the judge in Aleman's first trial. The next judge ordered a new trial, and he convicted Aleman of murder. Like the feds, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Jake Halpern got Cooley to talk, and they take listeners on a wild journey into a world of corruption, murder, and mayhem in Chicago. You can listen to Deep Cover Mobland wherever you get your podcast. And on a personal note, I love this podcast, man. I had already listened to their first season about an FBI agent who started working a Midwest motorcycle gang drug case, and he ended up following a string that took down Manuel Noriega. So give it a shot. You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome all you wiretappers out there. Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. At the end of this show, I'm going to do kind of a year-end update. I probably should have done this around, uh, oh, the first year. Uh, this is, uh, this is what, the third week in January. But I, I want to tell you about what I've been doing this last year and kind of bring you up to date. I appreciate all your support over the last several years. You know, this is going into my sixth year of doing this podcast. Um, I think I may be one of the first, if not the first, mafia podcast out there now they're the airwaves are are uh, youtube and the podcast the audio podcast apps are flooded with mafia podcast but first uh, i want to tell you a little bit about the kc boss nick savella and the time that he suspected somebody was stealing from the uh skim that he had going uh now those of you who don't understand the skim uh what uh, the kansas city and family was doing and this was separate from chicago and cleveland and the uh, Milwaukee and the Stardust scam. This was a scam out of the, the Tropicana Casino. And, and Nick had placed a, uh, actually he was a cousin of a local mob guy who was from Sicily, a man named Joe Agosto, inside the Tropicana Casino. And he had made himself invaluable and, and had the uh, kind of the confidence of, of the owners. They had, uh, they wanted to get a Teamsters loan and and Joe was promising that he could get a Teamster loan in their first go at it. Uh, they got turned down. And, and that was Nick's idea was to make sure they don't get that first loan in order to squeeze them a little bit and make Joe more valuable. Joe became more valuable. And he said, you know, I've got this contact. Just have to, you know, pull some strings here and we'll, we'll go back at it. And we'll get a, a Teamster's loan. And, and so they let him do whatever he wanted to do. And he hired a guy who had been working at the Stardust uh, well, when Lefty got booted out of the Stardust because the Gaming Commission made him leave for a while, Carl Thomas had taken over, and he was a real well-respected 35-, 40-year-old casino executive. He'd been at the uh, Slots of Fun and, and Circus Circus, and, but he had been involved with skimming for a long time for the uh, casino owners who had gotten Teamsters loan and needed to kick back to Alan Dorfman and, and any mob guys that were involved in that. So Carl Thomas was a guy who had control of the count room and Carl Thomas 
was uh, taking money uh, out of the account room before it ever got into the accounting books and sending it back to Kansas City to the tune of $40,000 a month. A lot of you know that story, and that's partially what they were talking about in the movie casino. And I've talked about it in my book, uh, Leaving Vegas. We talk a lot more about it because this is a different set of scheme. This really didn't have anything to do with Lefty Rosenthal. So let me get on to this story. And, and after this is over, if you want to keep listening, I'll tell you a little bit about what I've done over the last year and, and where I'm at. And, and I don't know where I'm going, so uh, we won't worry about where I'm going. But I wanted to tell you about what I've been doing over the last year. Thanks, folks. While they are inside the Tropicana and they're starting to scam up and it's going pretty good, Nick Savella starts getting worried that some of the employees that are responsible to skim the money and send it back to Kansas City or taking some off the top. He doesn't want anybody stealing from from his skim at all. I mean, they get they get a little bit. You know, he's happy to give them a little bit, but they can't take three or four grand, you know, on their own and stick it in their pocket and walk out. And then he was afraid they'd be doing that. And he was probably right. Uh, and, and they probably were a little bit. Like the restaurant that shuts down and you know that it's, it's going out of business next week and all of a sudden all the decorations disappear from the wall and the, and the extra food that has any value and booze and everything all of a sudden starts walking out the front door. So, so you know, I'm, I'm sure they were. Yes. Uh, Nick Sabella had it going all on his own. Chicago knew about it because he voluntarily sent a little piece of it, say ten grand a month, up to Chicago. He didn't have to because they didn't really help him get the in, make the inroads on the casino. They only got control of the tropic of the Stardust because mm-hmm. the four Midwest mafias, the Milwaukee, Cleveland, Chicago, and Kansas City, colluded and put pressure on the Teamsters Union through their four different contacts and highly placed contacts in the Teamsters Union and got the Teamsters to loan Alan Glick, the owner of the Stardust, the money to buy the casino. And out of that, they told him, okay, we got you that money. Now you got to hire Lefty Rosenthal and then let him do what he wants. Yeah. And, and then he'll control it. And, and, and he does what we tell him to do. And he then sets up the skim. And then they say, and the owner doesn't know anything about it. By design, he doesn't want to know anything about it. He was glad he got the money. Now, the Tropicana was different. There's a famous scene in the film Casino, and I have uh, I took I made a little video to put up to kind of compare and contrast the uh, a scene from the movie Casino and the real life audio tapes when they're kind of discussing the same things. And in this, they're discussing whether somebody is stealing money from the casino in the film casino. And then we'll click to, we'll, we'll go to Carl Thomas and Nick Savella talking about this particular problem. That the money we're robbing is being robbed? That somebody's robbing from us? We all to all this fucking trouble and somebody's robbing us? Uh, like I said, you know, it, it's part of the business. It's considered leakage. Leakage my balls. I want the guy who's robbing us. Even John Nash. That's the guy who ran the scam. He knew there wasn't much you could do about it. You gotta know that a guy who helps you steal, even if you take care of him real well, I mean, he's gonna steal a little bit extra for himself. Makes sense, don't it? Right? Well, you go try and make these hard-headed old greaseballs understand that. What's the point of stemming you for being skimmed? Defeats the whole purpose of what we're doing out there. Huh? No, they take this money because they're my guys. Carl Thomas tries to impress Nick with his scheming, even around his kitchen table. Me, Frank, 
and shepherd and my bookkeeper, my controller, who was 1,000% doing me for 15 years, has sat around in my kitchen thinking for six hours, taking ways to beat these joints because I like to take money out of them. These ads go back there, open the box, and snatch the cash. I've used that system for as long as I There is no record. Yeah. They take the money to go to the office, count it down, boom, 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 boom. Man, the bad part about that system, if they say they're taking 2000 a day, they can be taking 24 minutes. Yeah. How do you, if they go out and pick up 75 oh, how do you know they pick up 70 Nick, I only know it because the guy's been with me 15 years and always know what I told him. I would be, I just can't believe this guy would do that. Give him off 40000 a week in dollars and grab the 40000 C notes. And nobody knows, but you just keep, when I said a cage, I don't mean a big cage, your room's not much bigger than this corner. They have their own bank room. You can do that very easy. I remember one night, I remember one night at Circus Circus, we had an obligation to meet. When I was young, we had a ball right here. There was two guys who stayed outside, Bobby was one of them. And I was in out of my fucking back, next that money, they weren't far from me, but that refrigerator put money in my pocket too. Look, uh, you always, I think if you do things out in the open, you stare at a guy right in the face. The first one was uh, several of the mob bosses sitting around worrying about leakage or somebody stealing from the skim. And then the second part was Carl Thomas talking about how they skim. And, and you know, there's really, he said, there's really no way. You just got to trust your guys. That was up at the uh, Josephine Marlowe house. It was the famous Marlowe tape, the famous Marlowe meeting in which uh, Joe Gosto and Carl Thomas came back from Las Vegas and particularly circuitous manner and tried to be extra secretive so nobody, nobody would see them. And they spent about six hours that day talking in front of an FBI microphone. Everything you ever wanted to know about infiltration of a casino and skimming from a casino. My concept of this place is, is you hit the box is one month pull up, give these guys a break. Hit the slot the next month. Hit the boxes and the slot. That you said you never set a pattern. Now if a guy noticed that the, the variance are off on slot machines, next month the variances are up. But the dollar, everybody, almost everybody's taking money now. All the little joints, the golden goose, the golden eggs, the honey shine, they get them out of the dollar slot. That's where the money is down. What he did, what Nick did during this time, he did a moratorium on skimming in order to try to figure out if anybody was stealing from him. Carl Thomas was given the job to do an audit, and so they stopped skimming and they did an audit. Well, this next clip is uh, Tuffy Luna telling Joe Agosto that Zio, who is uh, Nick Savella, Zio is uh, Sicilian for uncle, and Mr. C, who is Carl Thomas, want to do a moratorium on the skimming because of the perceived threat of leakage or somebody stealing from the skim. Uh, he'll say that Mr. C, Carl Thomas, and Mr. Caesar, who was their code name for Joe Augusto, will eventually meet with Zio or Nick Savella after this moratorium is over. Now, this is the first mention of a secret meeting between... Nick Savella and the Tropicana Moles, and this was going to be a face-to-face -face meeting. So we talked, they talked for quite a long time. You know, I'm not sticking my mouth in there too much, but once in a while. And in the final end, Gio asked him, what do you think he happens to see? He says, well, I think that maybe you should go ahead and declare this moment. 
Augusto was from Sicily originally. He was probably in the United States illegally, and nobody really could ever figure out exactly who he was. They they kind of figured out who he was, but he had another birth certificate and another name, and so nobody really knew exactly who he was. His niece caught hold of me one time and, and made a comment on my uh, YouTube channel about that was her uncle and, and how she always thought a lot of him. And then he was, he was a nice guy. Uh, when he, he ended up turning, coming to witness for the government and they were, ba- I talked to some of the agents that babysat him and, and he was a great guy. He he was a lot of fun and, and he wasn't, you know, dangerous or crazy or anything. He, he, he was just, he was a con artist is what he was. This next clip is from Mob on the Run. This was a documentary I believe done by KLAS, a TV station out in Las Vegas, and it's narrated by the famous Ned Day, and it's about the whole skimming from the Las Vegas casino in the 70s. It's a pretty interesting film. I suggest you look it up on uh, YouTube. The mob's man at the Tropicana was Joe Agosto, a Sicilian-born con artist who masked his true role at the hotel by acting as the producer of the Follies Berger show. Gentlemen, uh, the majority of the people in Nevada leave us off for the gaming interest, and they do that with pride, with humbleness. And we are happy to serve in whatever capacity we may be in the show business, whatever capacity as a waiter, so as as, as a waiter, so or, or as a bus boy to serve this industry because it's our bread and butter. You know, let's not knock it because that's the only survival we do have. Let's deny elect people which they feel they are as holy as a God when they are not as holy as God. When they are the first people where don't rule and regulation and no law applies to them, however they have been appointed only as political favor to them for their political ambition, whatever the case might be. Let's pass law where we can regulate those people. Let's not regulate the gangster comes only them. Let's regulate them too. So we have a full, full view over the consequences which those people can cause to the state of Nevada. But in reality, he was the mob's man inside the Tropicana, responsible for manipulating Mitzi Briggs and for carrying out the skim. At the time, of course, he denied it. I lived in Alaska for 13 years. I lived in this, after there for 10 years in a small town, Yelma, Washington. Now. If, if you're going to tell me that it's an organized town, organized crime in Yelma, Washington, uh, 
uh, uh, uh, uh, then, uh, then I must be organized crime. 800 people over there. Now, if you tell me there is organized crime in Alaska with the Eskimo, you know, I, then I must have been uh, in organized crime with the Eskimo. You know, this has been other than the time I was spent in Alaska. So all those allegations of organized crime, because I'm a Sicilian, you know, but I, I, I happen to know right from wrong, right from wrong. I came here in this country knowing the law. I had a law degree in Italy. When I came here, I, I accept an humble job as a flunky for universal food. From there, I was promoted as a dishwasher. From a dishwasher, I was promoted as a cook. From cook, I was promoted as a food supervisor for the Army and Exchange Service. From food supervisor, I saved my money and I became a builder. I bought a piece of land, a little subdivision, and I built my first houses. Then in 1963, I came here and I built a shopping center. Then I went to Seattle, I built another shopping center. Ah, where are all those millions of organized crime? Are they behind my flunky job, my dishwasher job? Yeah, he said, about what am I? I'm a mob. I'm connected to the mob. What's what? What does that mean? He said, uh, "All I got's a dishwasher job here at the casino. <laughs> I'm no mob guy." He was he was a scammer. He he was a uh, ace number one scam artist. Joe Augusto will take a deal and testify against Cork Savala and Tuffy De Luna and Carl Thomas. Nick Savala, he would have testified against him, but he died before the trial. Uh, They'll all get convicted, and, and particularly Carl Thomas got convicted, and this caused Carl Thomas to turn and become a witness for David Helfrey and the rest of the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, the prosecution in this case, and bring in the Chicago outfit and Cleveland and Alan Dorfman particularly, uh, Joe Lombardo particularly, and uh, the Milwaukee crime families. And then we had some other people, I think Angelo Leonardo testified uh, from uh, Cleveland, but they were able to bring all those guys in and get convictions in the second trial, mainly because Carl Thomas was the key figure. He had been at both the Stardust and the Tropicana. But secret wiretaps and bugs had caught Joe Augusto red-handed, meeting with this man, Nick Savella, the feared godfather of the Kansas City mob and an underworld ally of the Chicago Crime Syndicate. Also at the secret meeting, Casino executive Carl Thomas, back then a highly respected and politically well-connected civic leader. The topic of conversation as recorded by the tapes, how to skim money from the Tropicana. You skim off 40,000 a week in dollars and grab the 40,000 C-notes and nobody knows that you just keep, when I said a cage, I don't mean a big cage, your room's not much bigger than the corner. They have their own bank room. You can do that very easy. Well, no, the scales won't be adjusted, but the guy that reads the scale is your hat. You got to have your guy reading the scale. I, I bought one on my truck scale, cost me 15000 but my guy reads it. Well, guys, that's the kind of a little known story about Nick Savella and the time he was so suspicious that somebody was stealing from his money that he was stealing from the Tropicana that he called a moratorium on all skimming in order to go back and take a look and say, well, are somebody stealing from my stealing? Now, you might say, well, he owned part of the casino. Well, he really didn't. <laughs> in this case, you know, in the other case with Stardust, it was a little bit different than that. Uh, they, the mob helped 
Alan Glick get this big loan and this was their way of him paying them back. So in a way they, they weren't really stealing that money, but in the Tropicana, they hadn't done anything. He, you know, he got Joe Augusto and Carl Thomas inserted in that casino where they got themselves inserted into it. And they simply started stealing money from the count room and sending it back to Nick Sabella. And, you know, uh, little known consequence, unfortunate consequence, uh, uh, a result that he didn't see was because he was so worried about the skimming, he had Joe Augusto and Carl Thomas come back to Kansas City and the FBI was all over that meeting. They put a wiretap in there, a, a bug in that. And you heard some of that uh, conversation. Uh, it was just real specific about skimming and this is how we do it. And this is uh, how much money we get. And and this is what we have to worry about. Uh, so, uh, you know, that then led to they started they started after that meeting in December of 1978. They then decided to start taking money back out of the casino. And so for the next two months, Carl Thomas was setting aside money and he put together two packets for two months worth of eighty thousand dollars, forty thousand each packet. So the bureau knows that this money's coming in and it's time to take down the wires, take down all the wires and hidden microphones all over the United States, because by that time they had them in Las Vegas and Milwaukee and Cleveland and in Chicago. And uh, so they were going to serve search warrants when they took off this courier. And so the courier comes in. The signal goes out as on Valentine's Day. We always call it the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Why? Uh, Signal goes out all over the United States, all over the Midwest to the other FBI offices that we did get the casino skim. We got that evidence, serve all the search warrants. So they served them all that night. And, you know, the rest is history. If you've ever seen the movie Casino, I was there in Tuffy DeLuna's house when we found the notes, that uh, the famous notes from the movie Casino about, uh, you know, you're not, what, are you gonna, what are you keeping notes for? Are you going to pay taxes? Uh, well, he did keep notes about expenses that he had. And like I said, the rest is history. And they did not know that uh, at that point in time. So, uh, you know, this is my little uh, January story. And I, I kind of I really like I really appreciate you guys. I tried to put out a few extra around the holidays, uh, Christmas morning and, and New Year's Eve. Yeah, just to show my appreciation for all the support I've gotten over the last year with my new movie and and, uh, you know, all your Venmo and your uh, PayPal hits on me, uh, for me, uh, it's, uh, it's just been nice. Bless that. You know, I have fun doing this. It's kind of a labor of love. Sometimes a little more work than I want to do, depending when it gets to be golf season again this summer. Um, but I'm looking back over this last year and, and it just, you know, I, I like doing something that I have fun at, and I've always had fun at that. This thing, uh, I tell you, I think maybe my favorite guest was a guy named Ray Morrow, who was an FBI agent that worked undercover on the Cleveland mob or kind of started in on the mob and the, the seamy underbelly of uh, Cleveland crime. He ended up uh, taking down a bunch of Cleveland policemen, which, uh, you know, that's probably actually worse than, than mobsters having your policemen be corrupt. In my opinion, my humble opinion, maybe some people like to have their policemen corrupt. They can buy their way out of tickets. But believe me, folks, that's a slippery slope that you do not want to go down in the end. And, and I really like Ray personally, and I met him play golf last February in Florida. He's a good guy, an earnest guy, and, and uh, 
So I'm going to meet him again this year in February and play golf again. You know, I think one of my most interesting guests and kind of surprising, you may, it wasn't most popular episodes I had because it wasn't about the mob was this Alan Olivier, who was this French Canadian that spent seven years in a Thai prison. And after he was set up by the uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Now, whoever thought the Royal Canadian Mounted Police would be doing international drug deals. I thought they just rode horses and wore red coats and, and, uh, uh, enforce the law up in the uh, Klondike, but apparently that's like a full fledged national police department, maybe like the FBI. I'm not sure they have narcotics units and detectives and all that, I guess like a national highway patrol. I don't know, but anyhow, they, I think from talking to this guy, it appears to me, they got a little bit ambitious. And then when it went askew, uh, somebody had to take a fall and he took the fall. Now he was not an innocent party, but he was really interesting guy. Uh, I liked him. I heard from him at Christmas time. So, you know, that's one of the advantages of doing this podcast. One of the fun things about doing this podcast, I'm just getting to know these people all over the United States that have led such interesting lives. Um, You know, I think uh, one one guy I've gotten to know, Ron Rawson, you see him on the uh, New Orleans Facebook pages He's a real expert on the Marcello family. And I ha- I've only done one show with him. I need to do some more. I'm going to try to drive down on the motorcycle down to uh, New Orleans area and, and hit some of those spots and do a little YouTube videos uh, like I did for uh, Chicago and like I did on the Bonnie and Clyde mob tour. Uh, but he told the story about the time that Carlos Marcello was deported to Guatemala, which there's a lot of myth and, and misinformation about this. And and Ron's one of these guys that, that goes back to at least the uh, the newspaper reports of the day rather than, you know, third-hand information. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I like doing that, and I thought it was a really interesting story. I think maybe one of the most surprising guests I had, and I don't know if you remember this or not, he was not a mob guy, he was not a criminal he was a lawyer. I started researching Jimmy Fradiano for some reason. I, I can't even remember exactly why now I do so much during the year. Cause I, I, I was going to do one with a uh, uh, guy, uh, LA mob expert. And, and I just never really got back around to it. But when I was researching him, I found a, a name, Dennis McDonald and I, who was his lawyer at the end. And it looked like he was around. He could be found being a lawyer and he was still in practice. Well, he's not exactly in practice. I thought he was. It turns out he's not. He had left California, retired from practice of law. He he'd left California, he had some kind of a big ranch up in Montana. But uh, I checked his name on Facebook and he had a Facebook page. They sell horses up there and there was a, a phone number. So I just called the phone number and he answers the phone. Tell him who I am. And he said, oh, yeah, 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 I'd love to talk to you. And, he had been, uh, Dennis McDonald had gotten to know Fradiano. Fradiano came in and asked him to do some kind of a civil suit at his trucking company. Now, you got to understand, it's one thing I like about these mob guys is, is some of them, the, the good ones, the more sophisticated ones, will have like le- real legitimate businesses that they do business uh, and on one hand, uh, that uh, Sonny Francese is, is a good example of that. And, uh, uh, Paul Castellano did a lot of that. He had real legitimate businesses that they would do business and, and they weren't just mobsters. Now, John Gotti was, you know, he was a mobster. Uh, he, all he wanted to do was get money in some any way possible and gamble. 
some of these other guys that they have businesses and they build businesses, Tony Accardo and, um, you know, would build a business. And, and so they, you know, get invest in businesses, invest in property and get rents coming in and things like this. And, and Fradiano was like that. Uh, McDonald was his civil lawyer and they became friends and he would really kind of counsel him going into the witness protection and became his friend and, and stuck with him all through that. And even after, so he, it was a really inter, interesting interview with Dennis McDonald. It's kind of funny. I, we were joking. I said something about, you know, somebody needs to do a movie about him. He said, well, I've done a screenplay. He said, I did a screenplay with another guy and they actually sent it to me. And I kind of looked at, it. I don't know anything. I don't know shit about screenplays, but you know, I mean, somebody needs to do that Jimmy Fridayano story. I think he was, he was a heck of a guy starting off with the, uh, the murder of the two Charlies in, in uh, Los Angeles was one of the most, uh, you know, they touched on that in that one uh, LA confidential movie. Uh, it, it was a dramatic crime and, and Jimmy Fridayano was right in the middle of that and right in the middle of so many things throughout the United States. So from, from that, you know, the Mickey Cohen days in, in Los Angeles, all the way up to the uh, Sam Giancana and the CIA and, and the, uh, you know, we did that story on the 22 caliber killers, how the, uh, the Chicago outfit had stolen all those 22 caliber guns and down in uh, Florida. And, and they ended up appearing in several different hits on mob informants. Uh, Fradiano's old friend, Frank Bompensero was one of them. Uh, and so he went, he stretched from Mickey Cohen to the time when the FBI, in, uh, when the, the time when the mob had, had gotten a lot of information out of FBI offices and, and found a list of informants and started killing them off. That's, that's one reason he came in is he got worried that he had been slipping a little information to him that his name might be on that. Uh, Dennis McDonald basically, I think, talked him into coming in or at least counseling him through that. I mean, nobody could really talk him in. You know, I, I would like doing series, uh, little series, that series on the 1989, the year of the stool pigeon I did from the Chicago Tribune articles with uh, my friend Cam Robinson and Paul Whitcomb up there in Chicago. There's a couple of real mob or real outfit experts up there in Chicago. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, the Polly Adler story was a little different story. First, uh, first woman guest I had was uh, Debbie Applegate. She was a heck of a writer. I tell you, she was a good guest too. She was easy to interview and easy to edit. And, you know, you, you learn things about some of these, uh, some people are real easy to edit, edit and some people are hard to edit. Now I'm kind of hard to edit because I stumble over my words a little bit and maybe lose, uh, lose my track of thought or train of thought and, and just like right there, used the wrong word. And, and, and people, some of these guys, they just like, there, there is no interruption between their brain and what comes out their mouth, which is uh, news guy, Dave Stratweiser, talking about Joey Merlino and the Philadelphia mob. Uh, that's, uh, that was a heck of a story. So I don't know what I got coming up for sure this next year, just this month. Uh, trying to get them. This is January. I'm doing this right now. I'll throw this out right at the end of January. Uh, got it put out enough for February. I don't want to do much in February. I'm going to go to Florida part of the month. And I said this before. So if any of you guys are live down there in Florida, especially if you play golf, why uh, let me know. We'll play some golf or at least in the Southern part of Florida. But so ending off with this, the, uh, uh, no more sales bitches, no more hitting you up for money. 
Uh, don't forget about the PTSD. If you got any problems with that, I, I really believe in, in supporting that. Uh, that's a, a significant issue in the United States, especially all these guys that over the last several years that were in and out of Iraq. I mean, they're just so many like, you know, regular people. I mean, there, there were so many reservists that went in and out and came back, not just career life or military guys, but a lot of guys that worked in the police department, worked at the Ford plant, worked, worked all over, uh, ended up going, doing uh, a stretch of time in Afghanistan and Iraq over the last several years. So uh, don't forget about that. And uh, we'll be, I'm looking forward to several fun interviews over the next year. Got one here I see about just working on about Sonny Francese. And I want to do it on mob and the music is one of my plans. I do a couple of three stories on that. And heck, I don't know. We'll just see what comes up. Thanks a lot, folks. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey. <laughs>